0: ages, you are about to enter a world of darkness, a world where life and death are meaningless and pain is God. Woo! Hey, fellas, let's go. Yeah. Hooray! Wait right, <laughs> right Sorry, Captain smiling. Yeah, we're going to have a good time there.
1: 6 of Once Upon a Nightmare. I am your host Lorraine and I am here to discuss the horrors of the world, be it fictional or real. This week we are going fictional, but I must admit there is a little bit of a true crime vibe to it. And the film I am going to discuss is A House of a Thousand Corpses. But before I get into that, I want to talk to you about a movie that seems to be making the waves throughout the world and that is a film called Fry Barry. Fry Barry has won and been nominated for many awards and has even been called a masterpiece by some. And I am lucky enough to have the writer and director of the movie here with me, well via Zoom, and that is Mr. Ryan Krueger. Um, So here I have with me the award-winning indie film director, Ryan Kruger of the 2017 short film, Fried Barry, that is due to become a full-length feature film, or is a full-length feature film. Um, So uh, thanks for speaking to me. And how are you?
0: I'm great. I'm great. How are you? How's things going?
1: Yeah, yeah. Really good in uh, these uh, trying times. Um, So I saw the trailer and uh, I must admit it did pique my interest because it was rather different to what I'm used to seeing. So it's quite a distinct style. So how did you come up with such a crazy concept within a short film?
0: Um, well, originally with the, so I made the short film in 2017 and that was just an uh, experimental three minute film about a guy, a heroin addict in, in a building, tripping off his latest hits on his, you know, going through his highs and lows. Hmm. And once I made that film, we did really well with the film. We had like sixty official selections around the world at festivals and about thirteen wins. And then what started happen, happening after that was that we had we had a we had a lot a lot of a fan art that just hmm. came out of nowhere. People was just drawing these sketches of Fry Barry and, uh, and painting all these like artworks, and it was just weird that it yeah. just started popping up out of nowhere. And so I thought I was definitely onto something, but there was never ever a plan to to make a feature film. And I got to a point in my career where I was like, I've been wanting to make a feature film for a while and I've got all these different scripts. And yeah, I just hit a wall and I uh, went through like some depression and everything. I was like, shit, I need, a, I need to make a film and, uh, and uh, I need to do something like now, like now, yeah. now. And I got the idea, it just came to me and I got the idea. And I wrote a scene breakdown in about three days. And Mm -hmm. it was very brief, like super brief. It was like, Barry goes to here, Barry goes into the shop, Barry, this happens and this happens. It was very, very brief. It wasn't a screenplay, it wasn't a script. Mm -hmm. It was just like, it was just like super brief. And so I did that for about 50% of the movie and I had this idea. And then our lead actor, who was obviously also in the short, Uh, Gary Green he Mm -hmm. was um, he's not a trained actor uh, but I love characters and he's just got a great he's just got a great look you know And, uh, and, and that's the thing so I knew if I made this film with this idea that I had I would have to make the movie base it around Gary to make it work cause he's not a trained actor. So I know that he can't really do dialogue and he's, you know, he hasn't got all the techniques that all these other actors have. So he, you know, I had to work very, very like super close with him to get exactly what I wanted. And so the whole, because there was no screenplay and uh, we were filming stuff as we were going and it was just like in the moment. And it was like, you know, I I ended up writing six pieces of dialogue and then that's it. So the whole movie was workshopped and improved on the really? day.
1: Really, the whole yeah, thing. Yeah.
0: So the whole thing. So apart from like the brief, which will be very, like I said, it was very brief. He goes to the supermarket and this or that. So there would there would be ideas that we yeah. would that I would write, but at the same time, it's very much uh, with all the dialogue and what could happen in the scene was workshopped on the day and improvised. Uh, we just had a few takes. Uh, we spoke about it, we did it, and uh, and then we shot it. So that's, it was a very organic way of doing it. But I had to do that, one, because of Gary, because he's not a trained actor, and he didn't know anything we were doing until an hour before we were doing it. So I didn't want him to, like, overthink a- anything. And it was also the fact that, you know, it was, you know, we just wanted to, uh, you know I wanted to make the film so there wasn't any there wasn't anything like oh we're gonna make a film in six months it was literally when I came up with the idea got the idea I, I spoke to my producer that I only knew for about a month uh James C. Williamson and I said to him I want to make a film and I want to make it next month and he was like have you got a script and I was like no and I said <laughs> we have to do it in a certain way because of uh the lead actor because uh, he's not an actor and and he said, uh, Well, why do you want to shoot it next month? And I was like, If we don't shoot it next month, it's never going to happen. It's just going to get postponed and moved back. Like, I'm making a movie next month, you're either with me or you're not. And he's like, Cool, let's do it. Fair enough. A month later, we started making the film. And that's how, that's how quick it, it came it about. Happened. Yeah. So it was an interesting process uh, and happened very, very quickly.
1: Um, I'm kind of shocked that you said Gary hadn't done anything before because I noticed, like you said, he doesn't really speak much, but it's a very physical form of acting, which to me yeah. would be really hard. So how, how did you yes. get him to do all that? Because it's quite detailed in his in the way he is.
0: Yeah. So, OK, so Gary's background is that he's he's um, he's an extra. So he's been doing extra work for like for years. And here and there, you will have like a little featured hmm. a little part. Uh, but yeah, he's normally in the background, he's an extra. Uh, Gary's hobbies is actually, he does a, a shitload of, because um, he's ripped. That guy's like ripped. He's, he's, I noticed. Uh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> he, yeah, he's like super ripped. So he, he's basically, his hobby is he does like a, a long distance running and he, he, he runs like a, like a hell of a lot. So, I mean, all these races. And, uh, these uh, running competitions that he does like he's like beating like guys in their like 20s and shit like he's like he's just he just fucking runs he's got so, a lot of energy yeah yeah so he's he's yeah he's got a yeah he's, he's still quite physical I think because of the all the running and stuff like that but again because the role was quite physical as as well and stuff like that but it's just i had to work so you know i gave him some references to look at before we started shooting and it was also really just working with him super close and that's why i couldn't tell him anything until we were just about to do it or just about to film or he would overthink it really? so i had to i had to work i've known gary now for about 11 years so i know what to say to him i know okay. what not to say to him so i just know how to work with him so it's yeah it was just that relationship but working with them, you know, I mean, like, there would, there would be some things in the movie that we did that were maybe, you know, hard to do, and he was all right with it. And then when it was the simple stuff, he wasn't all right with it. Oh, yeah. so, it was, so it was just like that contrast. But I mean, he gave 120% every time. He always wanted to do another take. And uh, I think he knew that, you know, like, for his career-wise and stuff it was like, this is it. This is his shot. And he's gonna, you know, he's gonna work 100 percent hard at it, and he did, and he, you know, he delivered, and he, you know, he really, he really listened to me, and I, uh, you know, I guided him like the whole way. Otherwise, it just it wouldn't it wouldn't have worked. But he, you know, he's amazing. Like he watched the movie, and he's like, he's amazing. He's so he's so good uh, in the movie, and that's why I said it's just it's the perfect role for yeah. him. Like, this part is for him nobody else could do it yeah nobody else could do it even if i got the best actor in the country it wouldn't be the same like this 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 character that i made is he's so good at it because it's 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 like me directing him and getting exactly what i want and then it's also a bit of just him you know so there's a there's there's a bit everything but everything's like very everything was very controlled um so it came across exactly how i wanted it or you know what i mean so it was it was a process to do it and it was a challenge but uh i mean people hey, like i said he worked super hard he was he was amazing at the role i couldn't even think of anybody else that would do it even on the first day you know i said i said you know you're gonna act beside a lot of like big south african actors mm. but you know, don't feel intimidated by it because you know this is your shot. You know, you you are fried Barry, yeah. And you know, the, you know, you're not here by mistake. You know, you're like you were meant to do this role. And you know, if you listen, <clears throat> if you listen to me carefully, we're going to do this, and I guarantee you, people are going to love you. So just like you know, you're going to do great. Like don't don't overthink it. You're going to do great. And it was like all like you know, amped up to to do it. So it was great. And he's super humble, super nice guy. And yeah. as I said, he's always willing to to do that another take and another take. Even like, Gary, I've got it. And he's like, no, no, no I want to do it again. Do it I said, like, Gary, we've got it. Like, we got it. Don't worry. Like, we got it. So, yeah. So it, it, it was a pleasure uh, to work with him.
1: I do have to ask, because when I watch something like this, it does kind of scream cult classic. And it is quite shocking. It. <laughs> it is, because it's very... When I watched, especially when I watched the Carol Basking, the bit that she went, oh, no to, I did the same yeah. thing. The woman on yeah, the yeah, table. Yeah. Um, and it kind of gives you that shock value, like, I suppose, you know, when Tarantino first come out, or Danny Boyle, or Cronenberg. Yeah. And would they be yeah. someone that you would have been influenced by? Because it does screen those three to an extent i think
0: yeah i mean i love like you know i love david lynch uh love david lynch. uh you know definitely. i love david cronenberg and uh john Car- carpenter i'm like a big 80s kid like i love yeah me
1: like,
0: too <laughs> 80s. Yeah. 80s is the best like you can't yeah. like there's nothing wrong with the 80s films i fucking love them yeah me too so yeah they're, they're definitely my influence <coughs> influences without a doubt and um yeah i mean it's just the, the amount of people like what you just said now, I mean, the, uh, the amount of people that have seen it or haven't seen it yet, uh, the people that haven't seen it goes like, this looks like, like, this is going to be like a cult film. Like everybody's mm, going like, to remember it. And then the people that has seen it, uh, for example, now it's in Factospo in, uh, in in Brazil. And they're like, masterpiece, cult classic. <laughs> and and the amount of people that have said like cult classic now to us, it's like, look, we're, we're I'm trying to like keep track of my head with just like stats of people saying it. And we, we, there's been about like 50 or 60 people like just keep saying uh, like, oh, this is, is gonna be a cult classic without a doubt. So, and which is awesome, you know, it's it's great that people are saying that. And I mean, the, the thing is, I went out to make, the thing is I could have made, I've got so many scripts here. I could have yeah. made any of these scripts and and i I could have made them really good, these other scripts, but some of the scripts that I've got I know it could have made it really really well, and it would guarantee still to be a B movie because it would still be it would still be an indie movie, yeah but I think that it if like like I've, you know I've got this like post apocalyptic script, and I know I could have made it amazing, but it could easily get lost in that like B-movie market where it might not surface, some people might see it, some people might not. So at this time I went through this like depression and this really like bad time and I needed, you know, at the top of my list was to make a feature film. And then when I got the idea, I I knew straight away, like this is the idea. This is the idea that will make a noise and will be like remembered and not go unnoticed. Because of the the type of content and the type of mm. like I had to do, I had to do something the most creative thing that I've ever done. And instead of being restricted to a script of, of these other scripts of these other films that I had, and that's why I had to do *Fried Barry* because I, I I got to be like super creative and you know be in the spare of the moment to come up with these ideas. I mean, and it's also like who doesn't want to watch? you know, you know, a drug addict that gets abducted by aliens and, you know, is inside his body and shit like that. But I I went out to try, because normally like people make a film and then it becomes like a cult film or, you know, a cult classic or whatever. So I wanted Mm -hmm. to make, I wanted to make a cult film. So I was just like, what are those elements of stuff that I would like to have in this film and have that edginess and grittiness of my style of stuff that I, that yeah. that I like doing, and and you know, and then we film. You know, we ended up filming all that, and now all these people saying, you know, oh, it's, it's a cult cool classic. Uh, it's definitely going to be a cult cool film. So it's great that I went out because I went out to do that, and yeah. it looks like it's working. It. So it's just that recipe, and it's and it, I think I think filmmakers will, will will get this, but I mean, it's it's one of those things where it's a very fine line when shooting a feature film for, like, a cult-style film, where yeah. it can go this way or this way. Not in a bad way to the left. It's just more like, you know, if it's if it's shot a certain way or if it's edited a certain way or the certain tone of the film, maybe it's, it's a bit too over-the-top where it's like... I'm trying to think of an example where, you know, it can easily fall into like a, like a cheaper yeah
1: I know sorry, what you mean like in the
0: right way it looks like a cheaper audience for, for, for the type of film that it is and it won't gain that 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 cult cool yeah. status. You know what I mean? So so I mean there was like one bit where me and my editor, we sat there and we edited this whole scene and it was funny and it was really great and I was just like, fuck this is funny but I was like it's the wrong tone for the movie. So okay. I need to make it more like cinematic and more mm-hmm. less like music video orientated and less funny because of the edits so there's that fine line to make it the right tone that it should be for this for a type of like cult style movie so there was lots of decisions like that where i'm like it's funny it's good but if i do that it doesn't fall into the like the cult style sort of film what i'm trying to do so yeah it's that it's that very like fine line of of making something and then hitting, hitting the right marks for it.
1: Cool, I have one more thing to ask you. Um, not many people are very familiar with South um, African cinema. I mean, they know like the big ones, Invictus Hotel Rwanda and stuff. So yeah. what do you think a film like this would do to kind of draw attention to that kind of uh, cinema?
0: Uh, we'll put it this way, like South Africa, we don't make movies like Fry Barry here at all.
1: Oh really? Like, at all,
0: oh, at, okay. all. Like, at all. like south africa is quite conservative like okay they they are like they're pretty conservative so the movies that get made here is you know is the like historic uh movies or like apartheid or you know you get the township movies and and stuff like that and then we get the comedies and the rom-coms
1: yeah
0: and the dramas then that's it that's all you know that's that's all all we really do here I mean, every now and then you'll get Americans coming over producing stuff like Invictus mm. and stuff. I mean, even District Nine. Yes, it's a South African, yeah. uh, it's a South African uh, crew and all that, but it's also American money behind yeah. it as well. So, yeah. uh, which I loved. It's a, a, a it's a great movie, but that's mm. you know, there's a, I mean, I, I always think like you know, take that take that American money out of it, and what what would it be? You know, what, what would what would it be? But it's a great film. Uh, absolutely. Uh, I think it's a great, great film to show off South Africa. So, but yeah, but with Fry Barry, it's the, the contents, like I said, the, South Africa is conservative. So the amount of contents that is in the movie that is quite like striking or like nudity or the whole drug things or the sex, or it's just a bit too, it's a bit too crazy for South Africa. But what's good about it is that we, you know, we sent it to uh, Rapid Lion Film Festival in Johannesburg, and it could have easily got overlooked, and it didn't. And the thing is, Fried is definitely breaking that mold in South African cinema, because we don't, we don't make it. I mean, there's not even a movie that comes close to this type of movie. Like, at all. So, and and I think people don't make these movies because they think, oh, nobody wants to watch them in South Africa. But the thing is, every, for the past 11, 12 years that I've been here, all the South African filmmakers and non-filmmakers, they're always like, oh, they're, they're fed up with the same fucking movies that get shot here all the time. The thing is, movies are getting better. Yeah. You know, the stories are a little bit different, getting a little bit more different and all that, but they're still playing it quite, quite safe. So I think this is definitely breaking that mold, and going back to Rapid Lion, it could have easily got overlooked, and we had five nominations, and we won Best Editor, best cinematographer and Best South African film, which me and my producer were like super shocked, because, you know, you know, whoever made those decisions is great, because it is you, know, if we don't make movies like this here, then it's never going to happen. You, you need that change. So hopefully, you know, after Fry Barry comes out, you know, there's other South African filmmakers that go, fuck, I want to shoot something like that yeah. or I want to shoot something crazy because, you know, people in the industry here, we also want to, we're also fed up with the same things and we also want something new and different. And, and you know, we, we can't make what England's making or America's making. It's just the people with the money are going, no, 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 that's a bit too risky, it's a bit mm-hmm. too this, like that. And like, and I was. that's why I said I'm so surprised that um, just Fry Barry's got everything that's in it is normally what they're against. And it's what I've probably struggled with for 11, 12 years of my career, doing certain things where they're like, oh, you can't do that. Oh, you got to take yeah. that out. Oh, this has got to get on TV or this is, you know, I've struggled like that with my whole career with the contents that I, that I do. And that's why with this film, I had, had to go, you know, balls to the wall and just be like, I'm going to do what I want. I've got no studio behind me. I've got no uh, client sitting on my shoulder and I can just do exactly what I want. And and that was it. Yeah. And it, I mean, it's amazing that it, you know, it, it, it's still going to be very interesting when it does come out in South Africa to see how people perceive yeah. it. But the amount of emails and random messages on Facebook and Instagram and everything, like people are like I'm very excited to see it. So to even, Get all these random mails is like is amazing. It's it's like super great.
1: Yeah. So speaking of seeing it, because I've showed it to a few people myself that want to see it. When would we be able to see it in England? Is it here? Yeah. I tried to find it, but
0: yeah. So at the moment now, so it's going to be at a uh, at Grimfest. So you must. Uh, so obviously uh, Grimfest is normally based in Manchester, but yeah. because of the uh, this whole Corona thing, it's yeah. going to be online. So I think Grimfest is in september i think maybe september uh, october um so yeah it's going to be there so that's going to be online for the whole of uh, the uk to check it out and watch it so yeah so so far yeah it's it's going to be that and then there might be other screenings after that so you've got to catch it yes yeah
1: no definitely one little quick thing what do you a a ryan kruger thing where what what does uh, (laughs) that What does that mean?
0: <laughs> so you you know to think, film is replaced with think. So you, mm-hmm. you like you get an Alfred Hitchcock flick, or you get oh. a Spike Lee joint. Oh. And then I've always I've always done it since I was a kid. I've always had it a Ryan Kruger thing. My, Ryan Kruger my best friend, thing. my childhood friend, growing up, um, my friend James Skiner is. Um, um, uh, so my be- my best friend James Skiner, growing up, he was like. I was like, oh, I need, uh, you know, Spike Lee's got, you know, Spike Lee joined. you got an Alfred Hitchcock flick. I need I need something good, good like that to stand out for, like, marketing because I've always been massive into, like, marketing and how yeah. to market, like, stuff. So, I, you know, I was literally like, how could I come up with something? And then he came up with it. And he goes, oh, what about Ryan Kruger thing? And I, was like, I was like, yeah, okay. It's, it's, yeah. That's good. The, 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 the thing about it is that people always remember it or always bring it up. So, like, people always come up to me, like fucking random people, because I'm, I'm like known for uh, music, uh, being a music yeah, video director yeah,
1: that, yeah. in
0: South Africa. So, I mean, over the years, I've had loads of people go, oh, Ryan Kruger thing," Oh, Ryan Kruger <laughs> thing." I went to the next Ryan Kruger thing coming up. So, yeah, it's, so for me, it's like a marketing thing, and yeah. it's just one of those things that you know, uh, you know, like a style thing and something to remember, you know. So,
1: brilliant. So, yeah.
0: It's a Ryan Kruger thing.
1: <laughs> Excellent. Well, thanks very much for talking to me, and I can't wait to see it myself. And when I do, I'll do a whole episode dedicated to yeah. it. If- yeah. Let me know.
0: Let me know what you think. And uh, yeah, yeah
1: I'll cool. keep an yeah. eye out for uh, Grim. I'll get the dates for Grimfest and yeah. I'll uh, have a look. But I'll put yeah. all your links and stuff in uh, my show notes so people can get to. Yeah,
0: me. yeah. I mean, we just want people to check out the trailer and share the trailer. Yeah. And um, yeah, I mean, it's it's hitting all the major festivals. So, I mean. Yeah, uh, we got into sitges, uh in Europe. We're also playing at Fantasia next month, which is huge. So yeah, it's doing a uh, really it's doing really well. It's like doing super well. And at the moment, in the past few days now, we've had like over I think it was like over two thousand one hundred people watch it at Fantaspo in Brazil. So they're like going nuts about it, which is amazing. So it's crazy mm-hmm. that uh, just in those three days we've had all those people watch it. So yeah, it's.
1: It's, excellent
0: uh, making the rounds cool well cool. thank you so much for having me i really
1: appreciate it you're welcome <laughs> I'll Catch you soon bye
0: okay cheers
1: eh thank you bye. bye so that was ryan kruger talking about his latest movie fry barry if you want to know more about him you can always follow him on instagram and twitter as a ryan kruger thing and also check out my show notes for the link to Grindfest and also the link to the trailer so you can go and have a look for yourselves. Uh, but now we're going to move on to the main movie and that is House of a Thousand Corpses.
0: Howdy, folks! You like blood, violence, freaks of nature? On a stormy Halloween night, four young people set out. Across the back roads of America. What's that? It's a hitchhiker. What, should we stop? We can't leave it right here in the rain. In search of a mysterious figure mm-hmm. known only as Dr. Satan. You know anything about the legend of Dr. Satan? Yeah, I can show you. Dr. Satan! Ah, Dr. Satan! What they uncovered. Ah! You, you ain't seen nothing yet is the most horrifying and shocking tale of carnage ever seen. Well, I bet you'd stick your head in the fire if I told you you could see hell. You seen this girl? Yeah, they want to play Nancy Drew with this local legend that people call Dr. Satan. Stupid kids probably got themselves lost. Let's get out of this nuthouse. The boogeyman is real. And you found him. It's Shunker! Don't kill us. From director Rob Zombie Ah! comes a journey into hell. This can't be real. This can't be real. This can't be real. House of a thousand corpses. Hope you like what you see.
1: House of a Thousand Corpses was written and directed by heavy metal musician Rob Zombie and released in 2003. It is most definitely an 18 and runs for an hour and 30 minutes. While Zombie had directed many of his own music videos before, this was his first full-length feature film. Zombie would then go on to direct The Devil's Rejects and Three from Hell and these two movies would complete the Firefly Family Trilogy with House of a Thousand Corpses of course being the first one. Zombie, sticking with horror, also directed uh, 31 and The Lords of Salem, and he did also take on the Halloween franchise by directing two of the movies, and that was back in 2007 and 2009. Um, They were not met with uh, the best reviews, I've heard quite mixed, but some of them weren't very nice, and that could be said as well for the Firefly uh, trilogy. Uh, Zombie himself has said that he got absolutely diabolical reviews, worst movie ever, basically, um but here we are talking about it uh, somewhat 17 years later i think the zombies films are a kind of love hate thing um with most people but one thing you cannot deny is this trilogy does have a strong cult following uh zombie like many directors tend to work with the same actors and you know throughout his film some do tend to appear in multiple films and that is especially when it comes to his wife who is the beautiful sherry moon zombie While this film did come out in 2003 it actually started a bit earlier than that and that was in late 1999 and early 2000. Universal Studios had actually funded the movie but after a screen test with Zombie they asked him could they speak to him outside which obviously is not a good thing and they told him that this film could not be released. It wasn't appropriate and it was too much for them to handle. But the irony of this is, is Universal Studios Hollywood and Universal Orlando Resort, they now actually have this theme tour that is based on the House of a Thousand Corpses. It's, um, I think there's mazes there, you go through tunnels and you experience the murders of the house. I don't know what they do with it, but it sounds really interesting. So I would actually like to check it out if, if I ever got to go there. So it must be making them some decent money, even though back in the day they didn't want to know. House of the Thousand Corpses is basically your road trip from hell. I've noticed with American movies, they do tend to take advantage of this particular genre of horror because they have such wide open spaces and it is a great place to use for horror movie settings. And, you know, because they're so in the middle of nowhere, people don't generally know where they are and people are free to just come and do what they please. And this film is, of course, no exception. So a little bit about it on October the 30th 1977 two couples are writing a book about strange roadside attractions on their journey they stop at a gas station which also happens to be a museum known as the Museum of Monsters and Madmen the whole place is run by Captain Spauldin. he is played by the late Sig Haig who is forever in a scary clown face after a tour of his very disturbing museum, Spolden lets the couples know about the legend of Dr. Satan and how the spot where he was hung is quite nearby. Wanting to add this story to their book, they go in search to learn all they can about the local Madman. While on their way, they spot a beautiful hitchhiker alone, so they stop to give her a ride. She plays Baby, and she is portrayed by Zombie's wife, Sherry Moon Zombie. She's a little off, to say the least, The girls feel it but the boys don't seem to mind and after a tire blowout Baby offers them help from her home which is nearby and basically after that all hell breaks loose. The first insight we get into how this family is is through Baby. She is definitely not right when we meet her and the one thing I will say about Sherry Moon in these films she does crazy well. She is absolutely terrifying and while we see her downstairs with one of the guys that she's brought in saying that her brother's going to go sort the car there are flashes to otis who is her kinder brother who is played by bill moseley torturing cheerleaders five cheerleaders have previously gone missing and unfortunately they have landed in this house so right where to start with this film firstly this film is bat shit crazy it's bloody brilliant and i wish i'd never saw it because every time i watch it i don't know why i watch it over and over again it just won't leave my brain. And even when I'm not watching it and I think about it, I get scared and I just have to watch it again. Not many films stick with me like this one. And I think one thing about Rob Zombie, he knows how to get inside your head. Like I even put some feelers out because I wanted to know what people thought this film. And a couple of people on Twitter and the Instagram got back to me. Um, Tells of Four Seasons says, it's one of my all time faves. It's an uncomfortable watch, but done, but so well done. In House of 1000 uh, Rob Zombie shows his talent in creating horror characters that you could be afraid of, but also love and root for. It's a very hard thing to do. Arguably, most important when creating legendary characters. At official EFF, your review. It sounds like one half of this group absolutely loves this film and the other one hates it. They go on to say it's so rare that a horror film goes this far in depravity and sadism and is still able to make it as entertaining as it is. And I would have to agree with that. This is true. This film really does push it, but still manages to keep you watching. Unlike that of A Clockwork Orange, which I had to turn off because I thought that was disgusting. At the Creepy Crap Podcast on Instagram. And by this way, by the way, you have to check this guy out. He um he's nuts <laughs> and um but he doesn't really like film he does films that you've never even heard of so definitely go check him out and um his response will kind of probably show that he said i wish captain sporden replaced connor sanders and was the new face of kfc how cool would the ads be if he was selling their shit <laughs> oh and on a side note my brother-in-law he is a big fan of this and uh, he actually has tattoos of the whole family on his arms I keep saying to him, what is a woman going to do when she's lying next to you in bed and she looks over and Captain Sporden's face is looking at her. But they are good. They are very well done. Um, But thank you for those responses. Um, But now getting back to it, um, the thing with films such as this and The Devil's Reject is I think you know that these kind of sick, twisted characters, you know, they're actually out there like while you've got your Freddies and your Jasons and your Michaels and they're terrifying. They kind of have a bit of a superhuman ability, don't they? And you know while you are scared while watching these films you know that they're not really real like i know there are very strong people out there but these guys are stabbed shot thrown off buildings and they still manage to stand up but with this movie you know it could happen they're all human and they're just so evil. And I think with all the podcast site, the documentaries and the news, we know that these type of people do actually exist. And the fact, again, it's so isolated. There I am again with the isolation bit that adds to that scare. You just, you, you, a road trip would become fearful after watching certain films. And the issue with these absolutely diabolical people is there's, there's nothing there. There is not one inch of compassion. And I think from the offset, we know that we're in for something rather, rather out there. As it begins with this Dr. Wolfenstein character from what looks like, you know, the kind of like the 90s, 50s hard with like the spooky music, the howling, the tales of terror. And then it cuts to sporting as a creepy ass clown. And he's asking, do you want blood, violence, freaks of nature? So come on down with this like creepy circus-esque music in the background. The intro, the intro of the credits is terrifying. It's hard to know kind of what's going on but you know it's not good and this is kind of really the whole film. You do find yourself wondering what is happening from people dressed as giant bunnies and being lowered into some big pit from a woman being tied up to escape and then she's thrown into this random cage in a room with people in it and you have no idea who they are from this like weird neon-esque staircase with wall to wall skeletons. I mean when I say this film is fucked up it is fucked up. And while Zombie did get some influence from movies such as Badlands and Texas Chainsaw Massacre, he did also get an idea from a real-life murderous family, which some of you may have heard of. They are known as the Bender family, also also known as the Bloody Benders. I have actually heard of this family um, a few years ago, and they terrorised the state of Kansas back in the years of 1869 to around 1972. They too had their own little house of horrors. And it was a bed and breakfast, but like the fireflies, they were so welcoming. Even to the point that when the benders had guests, they would sit the host at a particular seat at the table to make it look like they were almost royalty. But under that seat was a trap door and behind that seat was a curtain. So the daughter would entertain the guest and then out from the curtain would pop the father and the son and they would attack the guest. And then his throat would be slit and they would fall through a trap door and they would be robbed. That sounds lovely. But with this Firefly family, it would appear that robbery wasn't really a motive. They just basically liked torturing and killing people. They'd offered to help them or just take them and certainly take their time in what they did. The Benders kind of were a bit quicker to get it over and done with, but these lot, they liked to take time and pride over their work. So, who was this murderous family, I hear you ask? Well, the main culprits would be Baby and Otis, the others play a part. But not as much. That is, of course, the mother, grandpa, or the professor, Spalding, Rufus, and Tiny. Tiny was the only one who maybe had a slight bit of compassion. Very, very slight. Uh, We see he tries to let one of the girls go simply, simply because she asks. His mother said he had a little bit of a soft spot for the ladies. But having said that, he does also help Otis and his family in their antics. And while he may be slightly nicer, he's still pretty bad. But unfortunately, the actor who played Tiny, who stood at a seven foot six inches tall, died very young at um, only 32. He was played by Matthew McGorry. Um, But some of the names, by the way, just a little side fact uh, for this show, for this film, are chosen as a nod to Gretchen Marx. So if any of you are fans of the Marx Brothers, you will know who he is. And these are names from his films back in the 1930s. So Otis B. Driftwood, Rufus T. Firefly and Captain Spalding. They all come from a nice place and turned into a horrible place but of course the most horrible of them all and the most terrifying of them all and the most depraved of them all has to be Otis. I think one thing we notice though with this film is there's kind of like you know and with other films similar to this there's this common ground between the love within the family while they are beyond messed up and how could they possibly feel anything for another person you know, despite the language and the bickering, you know, they're still a family and they actually do care for one another. But the strange thing is they're not actually all family, um, not in a biological way anyway. Some of them are, but um, they do become this big family. So as mentioned in this first movie, there are two main culprits. And first we have up is Baby. Baby was named as such from Otis Driftwood. Funny enough, she was originally named Vera Ellen from her mother and father. Her father is Captain Spaulding. At the age of 17 her family opened their welcoming arms and took in the lovely violent psychopath that is otis he formed such a special warm bond with all of them that he named them the firefly fly family baby is a bizarre character and it's like she never really grew up when we first see her she gets into the car the one she was hitchhiking in And the way she acts, it's very childlike. And also the way she talks, it kind of reminds me of a young teenager. And she's got all these, like, when they get to the house, she's got all these, like, placard, placard, like, headless dolls all over the doorway. And, you know, the way she tells it, it's like that of a kid. And, you know, even if she had done all that, by now they should have been removed. She's like, I think she's like 29 in this now. And also when she's torturing others, it's like a big game to her. She just, like, wants to play. But unfortunately, her play turns into murder, you know, As it does, and she's almost a bit tantrumy at times, like she sulks. She kinda wants her own way all the time. And of course, Otis. Now for our lovely Otis and what a sick little puppy you are. Like a lot of serial killers, they come from abusive homes, and Otis is no exception here. He was neglected and abused by his parents all his life, and they didn't even bother to name him. He also committed his first murder at the young age of only thirteen, and that is believed to be the murder of his parents. Otis and Baby became close and decided after about 10 years of knowing each other, they go on a little road trip. And on this road trip, they murdered anyone who happened to upon, come upon them. To make it even worse, they joined a satanic cult led by a lovely man known as Dr. Satan. These two were so much for this cult. That's how bad they are. They were bad for this cult. That they were kicked out after Otis got a little knife, happy. And he murdered a fellow cult member over a bottle of whiskey. I have to say though what has been stated that they relate to the bender family which i can kind of see of course there is similarities we have to talk about otis and his whole charles manson vibe especially in his look in the devil's rejects more so than this one but he does have that kind of ranting thing of manson if you've ever seen manson in interviews he just doesn't shut up he just is always spouting some shit in this really like biblical form as he looks down on his followers you know Otis is like doing this on his victims too, and he definitely gives off that vibe. He doesn't really talk, he just projects his voice most of the time, and he sounds constantly irritated and pissed off like Manson. And he knows the best thing, you know, for everyone, and he's basically up his own ass, just like Manson. <laughs> and... Also, the Manson case, this would have been at the forefront of everyone's mind back in the 70s, too, because it was such a massive case. It was everywhere. We even see the boys when they're in the car discussing the Manson girls and we see the flashes of the female faces uh, faces involved in the Manson murderers. So we can see like Zombie is like bringing in all these different aspects to this. But with Otis... Maybe Manson might have had more of a luck had he had a different upbringing, but then maybe Otis might have either. But as for now, we feel like there is no hope for him. He is way too far gone to see what he's doing is wrong. We see him, you know, spouting all this shit to cheerleaders. You know, he's kidnapped them. He's preaching to them. And also the way he kills people, he's got such an imagination, but it's not only necessarily how he kills them, but it's also how he captures them. If we go back to the two couples for a second, when they are got their car fixed, they're leaving, they're realising at this stage, you know, this place is not good, we got to get out of here. They should have listened to the girls at the start. So when they're leaving, they're going down this driveway and it's kind of got these weird, like, scarecrow-looking things on either side, but these scarecrows, unfortunately have real people in them and they jump down and they like rain down in this car destroying it all and you know start pulling them out some of them are already out of the car they're beating them and all sorts and then we see the torture of rain wilson's character begin and what otis does to him is just something that i hope no one has ever thought of and for that i give you fish boy he parades his work in front of one of the girls that he's taken and he's so proud of it and he has basically made rain wilson into a merman statue like seriously what the actual fuck this thing is fucking terrifying i i just don't know where it came from and i think that was the moment when i watched this film when i was watching this one for the first time that i literally was like shit okay i know i'm in for something a lot worse here and then of course you know, as we step away from the usual merman we're used to seeing, there is, of course, the dreaded clown. You know, how did this lovable kiddies party figure become such such a grotesque and scary thing? Like, they've got their colourful costumes, their lovely painted faces. They should bring joy. But, you know, we've got bloody look at the serial killer, John Wayne Gacy. He was a real-life clown who murdered multiple men. And then we've got our fictional ones. what Pennywise, twisty, Captain Spaulding you know Sid Haig is great in this role and while he's not really in this film loads you know but what we do see of him is quite you know it makes a point um he does really come into his own in The Devil's Rejects and I'll be honest with you I can't even bear to look at him he is so disgusting as a character and he grosses me out so much and that's kind of the thing with this whole film and it has like that the whole way through and a scare at every turn and the house that the fireflies live in is beyond fucked up You know, what was going on in a zombie's head? I don't know, but I still love it. Plus the scale of it all. This place was massive. It had so many like underground creepy places. As I mentioned to you, the staircase with the skulls and it just seemed to go on forever. And I'll go back to my comment that I made in episode one about the freaking basements. You know, this is like an extended basement. What is it with America and stuff under the houses? You know, it's designed. No one's going to hear you scream. No one at all. And also for the victims, where can they go? They never get to go anywhere. And when one does, she manages to get away. But Zombie, he doesn't give us that satisfaction. We don't get a survivor. And the worst thing is, is that she knows that once she's in that car and, you know, she's in there with who she thought was Captain Spalding. which, quite frankly, I'm not sure why she got it in the first place because he's the one who sent her there. But the other fella's in there. And, you know, she just thinks she's free. So she's wandering around in the road, gets in a car. And then the next thing you know, she's back and she's in the chair and she's screaming. So, you know, she's not going to get away. It's probably more real to life than we actually first thought. People generally don't survive after being captured by serial killers. Movies usually give us that sweet relief of someone getting away. They get to tell the tale. They get to talk about what happened. They get to get someone to come in and take the killers away and the killers pay for their crimes. But no, not here. We do not get that satisfaction. It ends on a terror, a face of terror of a young woman. And unfortunately, despite the fact that for me, this is one of the most... Messed up out there horror films. I have to say, it's also for me one of the most likeable ones and the most realistic to life ones. So I don't really know what that says about me. But on that note, I think I will leave it there. Overall, I would highly recommend this film. It is in everyone's cup of tea, and I, you know, I kind of know what a friend I can mention it to and what ones just to stay away from. But I would definitely watch the next one also, which is The Devil's Rejects, as in there we get a Really better understanding of the relationship between Sporden and his daughter, Baby. Plus, also, it's just a really good freaking film. And also, while it's not as grotesque, it is scary and it's still terrifying. Um, I haven't yet seen Three from Hell, but I do intend to very soon. And on that note, I will leave you. But before I go, I will leave you with a podcast recommendation. And that podcast is called Ye Old Crime Podcasts. I'm Lindsay Valenti. And I'm Madison Stengel. And we're the hosts of Ye Old Crime, where we discuss the funny, Hey man, he's a nice guy. And they're like, no, he's disgusting. He has hooves. Strange. There are EDPs of spirits saying, get out in a room where patients committed suicide and obscure crimes of yesteryear. Here, Justin, here's your first phallic amulet.
0: Join us Wednesdays, wherever you listen to
1: podcasts. And we'll see you next time with another tale as old as crime. Um, It is hosted by two gals as they discuss the more obscure crimes of yesteryear. These girls know their stuff, so take a wee listen and then go subscribe and listen for more. I will bid you farewell and hope you have enjoyed my horror episode. There will be more to come, but next week's episode is True Crime Tuesday and I am going to talk about a serial killer who is one of the sickest ones out there and I feel he is rarely discussed. I have not heard much about him myself, Um, so I thought I'd give him a go, even though I hate everything about him but on that note thank you for listening and don't forget to rate and review on itunes and you can also find me on instagram as once upon a nightmare podcast as twitter and letterbox as a nightmare pod and you can also email me on once upon a nightmare at gmail.com so thank you very much for listening again and i will chat to you all very soon Bye bye